Hello, faithful listener. Welcome to another episode of Soccer Not Football. It's been a long, long, long season, and we have finally reached a conclusion. Um, the, the, the leagues are done and dusted, and so is the Champions League. And we finally have our winner. Uh, Daniel, will you do the honors of announcing the winner? Yeah, the winner of the uh, biggest European competition was uh, Villarreal. I'm just kidding. That's the Europa League winner. <laughs> Manchester United in a, in a penalty shootout. But the Champions League winner was uh, your favorite team, Chelsea Football Club. They, they overtook Manchester City 1-0 in the final, courtesy of a Kai Havertz goal. Um, it was an all-English final. We got one of these two years ago, two years ago, three years ago. Don't remember when Spurs played Liverpool in the final, but this final was not the stinker that that final was. This final, only one goal in it, but both teams were were definitely going for it, definitely showing their their attacking prowess in their uh, in their play, and Chelsea came out victorious. Yes, this is Chelsea's second Champions League victory, um, a repeat of. Uh, what they had achieved in 2012, their first Champions League win, and um, further exercising the demons from 2008. Um, they are now the only club in London with two Champions League titles, one behind Manchester United. And um, yeah, um, you know, this is such a massive victory for, for the club, considering the position that they were just a couple weeks ago. Um, when we last checked out, like when we last checked in on them um, after their win against Real, and uh, thinking they were such massive underdogs against uh, Manchester City, and they pulled off a virtuoso performance. Um, everyone on the team had the game of their lives, uh, damn near, and this was very well deserved. Yeah, Conte was named man of the match, and that was well-deserved from him. He was breaking up plays left and right. Um, I think I saw that he won the most aerial duels, and for those of you that, for those of you that don't know, Conte is only 5'6". So the fact that he's winning the most headers in the game is just sheer determination, sheer effort, sheer positioning, and that's why N'Golo Conte is probably the most underrated midfielder of this decade. He's won a Champions League, he's won a World Cup, he's won multiple Premier League titles with different teams, just uh, all-around steady good player, the engine of the midfield, uh, more than deserved uh, winning the Man of the Match trophy. Shaw should give a shout-out to Edouard Mendy, the first African goalkeeper to win the Champions League final. Uh, came in this season, not much praise or not much hype around him, made like $25 million from from France, and he absolutely turned around Chelsea's goalkeeping woes. We all know about Kepa's mishaps over the last couple of years, how he's basically just a field player playing in goal. But Edouard Mendy was a, a brick wall, kept nine clean sheets over this Champions League campaign, was an absolute stalwart, and was a big, big reason why this game was won by Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Reese James. He had the the game of his life, honestly. I was so stunned on his performance. He put Raheem Sterling in a spliff in his pocket. He still has him in his pocket when he comes into the Euro 2020 camp. And it's just so stunning. There were three academy players who started that game. And um, 
and also uh, Andreas Christensen, who had to come in for uh, the injured Diago Silva, and he just fit in seamlessly. Um, and of course, we can't forget Mason Mount, the uh, player of the year, and um, and also the big parts of you know Kyle Hudson Doyle and Tammy Abraham, their parts uh, in getting to to this point um, that can be uh, forgotten as well. And just so studying how the seeds that uh, Lampard created, you know, um, last season, you know, giving you the chance uh, with the transfer ban and everything, it, it paid off. You know, uh, fortunately, he wasn't there to see it off. And um, but, you know, at the end of the day, those are those are his players. And um, they were able to get the job done. You know, Lampard is like the Mark Jackson of, of football right now. <laughs> Can't believe we made it this far into the pod without mentioning that our boy Christian Pulisic came on in the second half, got around 30 minutes in the Champions League final, and was the first American male player to win the Champions League final. Um, we've talked about this basically from our first episode that Champions League is the premier competition, the premier club competition in the world. And we had a player who played a role, certainly throughout this competition, played a small role in the final, should have had a goal. Um, that got me off my seat. I was screaming at the TV already celebrating that, that he had scored and he just, he pulled it wide, which was a little unfortunate for, for him to score in that final. That would have been a much bigger news here in the States. It still was, it still got a decent amount of buzz, but I wouldn't even say it was like a top four new sports story of the day here. It was kind of still kind of under the radar in the mainstream media, but Christian Pulisic, uh, definitely deserved this champion. Chip uh, was a big part of Chelsea getting here, a big part of the semifinal, big part of the quarterfinals against Porto, and overall, much deserved to be our first Champions League winner. Mm-hmm. Definitely should have scored. Um, I was on my knees when he missed. Uh, it looked like it was going to be, it was he was going to ice it, and that would have been putting the icing on the cake, and that would have been such a great moment. But still, a win is a win, and this is such a great moment for uh, Pulisic. And um, I know you saw the pictures of him um, with the USA uh, sweatshirt and saying like, oh, no, just hopefully people see this. You know, young kids see this and, you know, they get inspired um, to to follow in his footsteps. And hopefully, you know, they do. And know that like an American can win it all on the biggest stage and can perform on the biggest stage. And, you know, either way, um, it would have been either Pulisic and Sack Steffen, but I would prefer the guy who actually played. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And talking about the scenes, I know you were out in London. You were out celebrating with with all the Chelsea fans. How was that experience for you? With just to be in the moment in the town where where the team won. How was how was that for you? Yeah, I was actually at the stadium. So I'm in London uh, right now. For those who don't know, um, I came a couple weeks ago. I it was just perfect timing, actually. Um, I did a quick stand tour. I will do a mini uh, podcast episode on that. But, um, yeah, um, I was watching it with someone that I met there. And um, as soon it was as soon as we got close to the seven minutes of added time, um, we started heading to the head to the stadium, Stanford Bridge. And there's already a crowd there just celebrating, going going wild by the time the game was over. And it was just, it was just a, a a surreal moment, honestly. Just it didn't matter, you know. Like I was hugging strangers 
all night, <laughs> all, like all night. It didn't, it didn't really matter because, you know, they're all Chelsea fans and they were all wearing blue and um, the crowd was going wild. And then the, um, and then the team, um, they did like a little light show in front of the stadium as well. So that was uh, a really sweet touch as well. And um, this is like we're going to have a parade due to, you know, international competition and still, it's still a pandemic, but um, that, it was, it was nice to have that opportunity to at least celebrate, you know, with uh, the Chelsea fans in, in that moment. So that would be something that um, I won't, I won't forget. Yeah. I don't think you'll be forgetting that anytime soon. That's one of the beautiful things about sports is it brings everybody together. Everyone who's a fan of, of Chelsea, doesn't matter your age, your ethnicity, your color, your race. It's you're hugging everyone. You're celebrating. It's, it's a party. It's a grand old time. So I'm happy for you that you were able to, to be around people who appreciated as much as you did, because it would have been special to see them when back home here, but you wouldn't have been able to celebrate like you did. So for you to get to that experience, I'm, I'm really happy for you. Thank you. And, um, you know, um, plaudits to Man City for getting to the final. It's not easy to make it into the final. And um, they finally got over that hump. Unfortunately, they didn't, weren't able to close the deal. Um, what went wrong for Man City in this game? I think they came out and were too attacking. They put too many attacking players out there. Um, Pep didn't really start a true central midfielder. He didn't start Rodri or Fernandinho in the middle. And that's kind of what cost him on Chelsea's goal. It was kind of just a transition moment. Mason Mount was on the on the left flank and put a beautiful through ball into Havertz. Havertz was open, but it was like a 30, 35-yard ball, ball pinpoint to Havertz's feet. And there was no one in the midfield to to be in that passing lane to disrupt Mason Mount. And Havertz was through on goal, and he scored. And Man City just couldn't get anything going forward. Two goals played Man City three times now in the last four months, three months. And he's beaten them each time with a slightly different formation, with slightly different personnel. So I just think Tukul got it right. And Pep tried something different, but it didn't work. And he tried to bring on subs later in the game, tried to bring on Aguero and Jesus, give them a different look, some different options, but it just wasn't enough. They did have that really close shot at the end with Riyad Mahrez. That one just skidded right by the post. I'm sure your heart skipped a beat there but they didn't really have any clear cut chances in the game. A lot of crosses, a lot of, a lot of wayward balls, but no, no great shots on target, no golden opportunities missed for them. Yeah. The, the defense was on another level. Um, there weren't many chances for Chelsea in the second half either. And it was up to the defense to just keep defending them. And, you know, each player made some great blocks of Christensen, um, Aspilicueta, uh, Rudiger, um, those that, that back three just, really just gave it all and um, really neutralized um, any attack that was coming from City. And I wouldn't say Pep overthought himself. He he knew those first couple of times didn't work. So, you know, I, um, if it worked, then he would have been a genius. And we all would have been celebrating him. But, you know, that's that's a, that's a, that's how it is, being a, being a manager. You know, you got to try something out there and um, it doesn't pan out. And it fortunately didn't pan out for him, but I am not worried. He's gonna, you know, ask his uh, his boss for another a billion and try to win champ to try to try again next next year. They will be back. I know that they will be back. 
And, um, you know, I'll see him leaving Man City anytime soon. And um, I think he's going to keep chasing that Champions League because that's the only thing that's left on his on the mantle for him and the owners of of Man City. I completely agree with you. Hindsight's twenty twenty with a manager. If you do something kind of weird, kind of out of the ordinary, and it works, you're a genius. And if it doesn't work, then you're an idiot. And he tried something, didn't quite work. Um, but it's, it wasn't for lack of trying. Man City definitely still had a successful season. They they won the Premier League. They won a League Cup. So they still got a couple of trophies. They made the final. It's just sometimes on the day you get beat, and that's what this was a case of. Chelsea just beat Man City. So where do you see Chelsea going from here? Um, I know they have some – they're trying to strengthen their squad with uh, Traore, uh, with Declan Rice, uh, with some other players, maybe potentially Lukaku or Kane. Um, you know, um, all the criticism that the team has had with, um, you know, with Timo and, like, some of the players not performing well, you know, does that is that kind of, like, vindicated with this victory? I think you would be better to answer that question, but I think I think they definitely end the season on a high note. It would if you take the the FA Cup final into account and the fact that they lost on the last day of the season, those were two pretty damning days for Chelsea. That could have been much, much worse if they had finished outside the top four and then they had lost this final the the entire season would have been looked at completely different but now that they won it's it's a celebration and they're european champions and and no one's going to take that away from them it'll be interesting to see what they do this summer i think there is going to be quite a lot of changes i just think some of the, a lot of the players are going to go i think tuchel doesn't really vibe well with with some of the players um some of the older players and even some of the younger players i think there's just going to be a lot of a lot of players leaving the door and maybe two or three coming in to, to challenge for starting positions. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I agree. Um, some players, you know, Tammy Abraham, he got the short end of the stick. He did. He wasn't even selected for in the, in the bench Two goalkeepers got ahead of him. So that can, so that's probably the end of his Chelsea career. I'm glad he was able to just go out on top and, you know, some players, um, there are links of them, you know, going on, either going on loan or, you know, um, for a transfer deal for someone else or being part of a loan swap for like other players. Um, I would say, you know, um, it was a massive, massive credit to Tuchel for getting this team together and, you know, having the slump that they had near the end of the season and pulling, um, pulling them together and had the performance of, of their lives. And um, ultimately, claiming the biggest prize because at the end of the day winning you know winning you know changes everything and like you said the season could have been totally different if you know we fell out of the top four if spurs didn't um bail them out or you know they didn't win or you know that fa cup loss you know that momentum it was i never thought that they would see them you know shake it off pretty much shake it off and put it behind them and just focus on Tasca Hand and that's exactly what they did. And now, you know, they are rewarded with a um with a European championship. Chelsea are European champions for um in this year twenty twenty one. And 
that feels so so good to say and um i will say this i am going to be on fucking bearable this summer you know <laughs> you can't tell me you can't no one can tell me anything right now um also fans tottenham fans um like any rivals they can't say shit to me so i'm sorry <laughs> um you know i'm 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 on cloud nine right now so and as i'm you, pretty sure everyone else in uh, chelsea is too as you well should be as you well should be winning a european cup is is no small feat so enjoy it while you can cuz next year there's going to be 31 teams trying to to knock chelsea off that perch so enjoy it while you can and they got to get ready for for next year's competition mm-hmm. all right also you know we do have other um there's a lot that we still need to cover. Um, we still have a whole lot of leagues to uh, catch up on. Um, first is uh, Germany. Um, you know, we have Bayern winning the championship. Uh, Dortmund was able to clinch the Champions League berth um, with uh, Reyna. And so did Wolfsburg and Lesbig uh, with uh, John Brooks and Tyrell Adams. Unfortunately for Josh Sargent and uh, Matthew uh, Hope, um, their teams got relegated, so their futures are a little bit uh, uncertain at the moment. It's kind of amazing that all those teams you mentioned right there have at least one American on them. Technically, Bayern do because Chris Richards is on Bayern, but he's out alone right now. But it kind of just shows the... I don't want to say American takeover of the Bundesliga, but there's definitely an American presence in the Bundesliga. Uh, just the way that like their, uh, their laws are set up their their contracts are set up. They allow for, for younger non EU players to play in Germany. So that's why many young Americans go to Germany because not only do like the laws and regulations allow them, allow them to play there, but, German coaches, German teams see the talent and see the value in Americans and they give them opportunities there. They give them opportunities to grow. So we have players at the top of the table and we also have players at the bottom of the table like Sargent and Hop, Hoppy. Um, I really hope Josh Sargent gets a move away from Werder Bremen. He got a ton of minutes this season. He started like 30 games, got 2,700 minutes, only scored five goals. So his his record in front of goal isn't great, but that's that's because Werder Bremen tried not to score goals this year. They were the first soccer team in history to actively not try to score. So I hope he goes to a team next year that, that actually does that. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some, definitely some bright spots, you know, with uh, Hoppy and um, with uh, Richards and his development and um, with Hoff- Hoffenheim. And um, another, you know, step forward for Adams and, you know, Brooks coming back from injury and uh, Reyna, you know, had an up and down season, but was able to finish with a DF, DFB Pokal win, you know, a German Cup win as well. And um, like you said, you know, it's kind of like a kind of like a place for Americans to help to like develop their skills, develop their, you know, um, their growth and uh, see, you know, the type of player that they can become. You know, this is like a first glimpse of them, you know, um, a first glimpse of seeing the type of player that, that they can become. We've seen it with Pulisic and Dortmund, and you know, we're kind of seeing it now, you know, with um, multiple players. We saw it with McKinney and, uh, 
and Shockey too. And, you know, um, and there's been, and there, and there has been like a presence even before Postic as well. So I think, you know, the Bundesliga and with, you know, with Queensman uh, as our former manager, um, I think that kind of like kind of um, spearheaded that kind of that kind of uh, development in the in the German in the German leagues. Um, so you know, I think we will have to thank Klinsmann for that as well. Yeah, Klinsmann didn't do a lot of great things with the U.S. Soccer Federation, but I think that was that was one good thing. He got a lot of dual nationals, dual German American nationals into the team, and then just kind of opened up the door for Americans to, to go play over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moving on to uh, another country next, we'll go to Italy. Look how the Serie A table finished. Um, Inter Milan came away with the Scudetto and were champions. Um, but literally in the weeks after they won, they've turned into a complete firestorm. Antonio <laughs> Conte has, has left the club, the team's manager, because ownership basically said, we got to cut like $90 million in salary. And he was like, well, I want to spend $90 million in salary. And they were like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So he wins the Scudetto one week and two weeks later, he's out the door because they probably got to sell two or three big starters and can't bring anybody else in. Um, behind Inter Milan in the table, AC Milan got a win on the final day against Atalanta to qualify for the Champions League. They came in second. Uh, Atalanta had already qualified on the final day for Champions League, so they finished third. And then Juventus got some help for... Uh, from Verona, Verona tied Napoli on the final day. So with Juventus's 4-0 win, they were able to qualify for the Champions League. So Ronaldo and McKinney will, if they stay at Juventus, will be in the Champions League next year. Um, that would have been quite the shock for for going nine straight titles in a row to missing out on top four. Uh, wasn't able to save Andrea Pirlo his job. He still got fired, and they're bringing back their old coach, uh, Massimiliano Allegri. So they're trying to kind of spark back that magic from four or five years ago when they were making the Champions League finals. And then at the other end of the table, we had uh, Benevento, Parma, and Crotone all get relegated. Parma and Crotone were were pretty bad this entire season. They were pretty much relegated in December. They were super far down on the table. They they weren't going to be able to save themselves. And Benevento just absolutely collapsed the second half of the year. They were were in a good spot halfway through they were 12th 13th and then they just stopped winning points and now they're going to find themselves in Serie B. Yeah, um yeah, it's a shame that Inter has to, you know, assume they can't really celebrate this win because, you know, next season's going to they're probably going to struggle um having to sell all these players and it's interesting to see where they go. You know, they got a lot. Of, they got a lot of players, um, a lot of big names on that squad. You know, Lukaku, um, Alexis, um, actually, actually, Young. Um, there's a lot of other players that I'm blanking on right now. But um, and I think the biggest miss will definitely uh, definitely Conte, and um, he was the one who you know got them over the hump and, you know, got them to win over such a big, big margin over, um, over the rivals. And um, it'll be interesting to see who the next manager will be and who, you know, how they will fare, you know, like when will the exodus end? It hasn't started yet, but we know it's going to come. 
And um, credit to AC Milan for, you know, uh, finishing um, back in the top four, finishing getting back to the Champions League. It's been a long time coming. And um, fortunately, their title challenge uh, ended prematurely. Uh, they weren't able to sustain the um, energy that they had in uh, 2020. But this is still a uh, great step forward for them. Um, and hopefully um, they can use this as a springboard for maybe something potentially great. They might be back. Um, this and, and a title win will definitely cement cement, uh, cement that, you know, signaling that AC Milan are, are finally back. You know, it's a return of, you know, uh, teams that have struggled for the past uh, decade or so and having a research and, you know, so next year, well, not right now because they're getting, they're getting beat by the Hawks bad, but um, um, it's like the Knicks, it's like the Browns and now it's AC Milan and then uh, Antalata um, starting to, you know, um, starting to make a name as a, as a perennial contender you know, for at least the Champions League. And uh, that's something that, you know, I don't think anyone would expect to say um, a couple of years ago. And um, they have a good, strong core. Um, I don't know how long it would, it would particularly last, but um, as long as they keep that core, um, they can consistently make Champions League. Um, they're like the, I feel like they're like the Leicester of um of Italy right now, you know. Um they're not quite, you know, like the big the big teams, but they're on their way to becoming a big team. And then uh Juventus, um they got lucky. They got lucky. Um you know, but it wasn't for that um Napoli collapse, um they would be in the Europa League. And I think that's why that ultimately did peel in, you know. Um, it wasn't – I wouldn't, I would say it wasn't much of a disaster as I thought it was going to be when Pirlo first got appointed. You know, the man came in with zero experience. He was on the B team for about, what, 10 days before he got appointed to the first team. And he was still able to get two, um, two cups, two trophies, and the top four finish. Um, but, you know, um, Juventus – their their standard qualities is higher than that, and uh, I still think yeah the job was probably too soon for him, and um, you know there he definitely had a case for maybe staying on another season, but um, Juventus has other plans and going back to um, Allegri, you know I don't think it would recreate the same magic as I as uh, they think they would hope for, and um, we didn't mention. Um, um, Roma and um, Brian Reynolds um, and um, they, they had a so-so season and now they're going to have uh, Jose Mourinho on the team and it'll be interesting to see how the special one does and how um, they would improve and how you know Reynolds would uh, work with a manager of that caliber so we shall see I think that'll be a good thing for Reynolds. I know Mourinho's a, a defensive coach, so if he wants him there and he can whip him into shape, I think that'll be good for Reynolds' progression. He didn't get too much time this year, but I don't think most people were expecting him to play too much. I think he managed five or six appearances, uh, mostly sub-appearances, just coming on. 
late in games or are playing in the dead rubber games. And he looked, he looked okay. He didn't look great, but that's what you would expect from a 20 year old right back who played only half a season of MLS. He's not super experienced right now. So he still has lots of time to, to learn and grow and we'll hopefully see that progression next season. So next season, maybe he starts 10 games or he gets 20 appearances. And I think that that'll be a good progression for him. Um, Going back to McKinney for a second, I think he probably had the biggest move from last summer. I think he, I think his jump from Schalke to Juventus shocked all of us, but he played really well. Um, he got 34 appearances, started 18 games, played it, played in 50% of Juventus's league minutes, and managed himself five goals, two assists. And if you had said that at the beginning of the season, I think every U.S. men's national team fan would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. You know. I think some people thought, oh, he's just going to go to Juve and sit on the bench. But he was a he was a big part. I just said he played 34 out of 38 league games. A couple of those he was hurt for. And the other couple he was suspended for for throwing a party during COVID. So I think overall his season was fantastic. Yeah, he, he had a great season. And I hope to see him at Allegri's plans for next year and hopefully challenging for another Scudetto. Uh, moving on to the English uh, side of the Premier League, uh, you know, we already knew this was going to happen. Man City were confirmed champions, um, and that gave Sack Stefan a Premier League medal. Um, you know, um, not hard to, you know, um, displace Erickson, um from the starting spot. So he did comfortably, you know, um, during his cup games and was able to start the League Cup final as well. So ended the season pretty successfully with uh, two with two um, medals in his pocket, and then United finished second. Um, Liverpool was able to claw back and uh, finish in third, um, and uh, Chelsea uh, by the skin of their teeth uh, were able to qualify for Champions League um, if they didn't win the Champions League. And um, poor Leicester, uh, for a second year running, they missed out on the last game of the season. And another bitter blow, considering that they were in the top four for the longest amount of time. And Yeah, you got to feel a little bad for Leicester. Just, they literally spent two weeks outside of the top four, and it was the last two weeks. They just collapsed down the stretch, and it's happened two straight years for them. They were able to get an FA Cup this year, and for a club of that size, that's a that's a pretty big achievement. But but finishing in a Champions League spot would have been massive for them. So to see them miss out again definitely hurts all the neutral fans. It definitely hurt me a little bit to see to see Tottenham take that away from them. I was I was kind of glad because whew, man, that was that was rough. That was a rough game Chelsea had. Um, and then um, Arsenal missed out on European football for the first time in 25 years. Um, Spurs barely qualified for the new UEFA tournament, the UEFA Conference League, whatever, whatever that means. And instead of playing farmers in Europe, they'll be playing um, – what's below farm? They'll be playing janders in Europe. Yeah. Well, now we're out here ranking occupations. Come on, man. Everyone – 
if you're if you're a working man, you're 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 okay in my book. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. They they go out and make a living, then they got place birds in the in at night. So <laughs> looking forward to them, you know, excited. And um, for the relegated teams, we got Fulham um, with Anthony Robinson. Um, they uh, had their fate sealed a couple weeks before the end of the season, and um, and Tim Ream as well. And so did West Brom and Sheffield United, who um, they were pretty bad as well. Um, didn't have much hope of uh, coming back. And yeah, we have new teams coming in. Um, we had the championship playoff final. We had um, we had Brentford. Um, Derek DK unfortunately um, missed out, um, got knocked out of the playoffs. So you, you know, uh, Barnsley won't be seeing uh, Premier League football, but he might be potentially. But we shall see. And um, it was a mixed bag for uh, Pulisic in the in the champions in in the Premier League. You know. Um, then there's a coming back from injury and then trying to come back from injury um, for most of the season and then getting a little bit of playing time under Tuchel towards the end and then near the end, like near the very end, um, coming off the bench as well. Yeah, he, it definitely was a, a stressful season for Pulisic this year, only four goals uh, in league play, but he still was able to play 1,700 minutes, which is a little over 50% of the team's minutes, so – he still was a, a big contributor to the team. Maybe not a, a nailed-on starter, but he still was getting a fair amount of playing time. So it'll be interesting to see if he, he wants more playing time and maybe wants to uh, seek a move to – I don't think he could go to a higher club. I think he'd have to either go to a club a little below Chelsea's level if he's looking to be a, a game-in and game-out starter or if he wants to fight for his place at Chelsea because I think he's he's happy there. He's comfortable there. Obviously, they're winning trophies, and that's any any athlete or any player. That's what they want to do. They want to win with their team. Um, so it'll be up to him if he wants to put his own personal preference above the teams or if he wants to put the team's goals ahead of his own. And I think next year's Prem race should be pretty wide open. I know Liverpool had a bunch of injuries at the back this year, um, and we'll hopefully be able to see Van Dyke and Gomez and those likes back next year and Manchester United could strengthen in this off season. And we know what Man City did this year with their long winning streak and Chelsea just won Europe and have Tuchel as their manager for a full season. So maybe they make a run out of title. It should be not wide open, but there's four, maybe five teams who can make a, a legitimate run at the Premier League title next season. Yeah. It was definitely a lot closer than what we expected um, it to happen. It was pretty competitive um, during like a, the halfway point of the season, and then all of a sudden Man City just came in and just ended that. And hopefully, you know, um, we might have a tower race that might end the final day, but we shall just see. And then it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens to Robinson and Reem. I know Reem wants to help stay and um, help Fulham try to, you know, get back into the Premier League, but uh, Robinson is kind of a question mark. Yeah, um, hope Robinson gets a move to another Premier League team just so he can get top flight soccer. Um, Tim Ream, I'm okay with him playing in the championship because he's kind of at the age where, yeah, it's good for him to play every week, but it's also good to keep him fresh. 
because he's probably our backup left center back right now going based off the, the Switzerland game yesterday and just his experience overall. He's, he's not terrible, but there's, he definitely has his limitations, but he also has his strengths. So not, not too worried about Tim Ream and I'm not too worried about Robinson either, but it would just be nice to say we have another player in the premier league or in the Bundesliga if uh, he decides to make a move there. And now we'll move on to the French league. We'll, see how that title ended up in a surprise. It was not PSG winning the title this year. If you've been following us, you know, we've been talking about Lille this whole time, our boy, Timmy Weah, and he wasn't on the field for the final day, but Lille got a two, one victory two nothing victory, excuse me. And on their final day to be crowned champions of France. So it was a big shock for them. It was their first title in, in nine years since they had Eden Hazard as their main man leading the way Leo with just a true, team effort a bunch of good players around the field to to get the job done obviously psg came in in second um disappointing result for them uh, pochettino might leave i've heard reports that he's unhappy with their uh, sporting director and there might be some friction there so he might not even last a full calendar year in paris and then monaco finishes in third which for france is not an automatic berth to the champions league it's a play-in and since Villarreal won the uh, Europa League title, they get an automatic spot bumped above Monaco. So Monaco has to go through a qualifying round if they want to play Champions League football next season. And then the French League, only two teams were relegated. Um, the bottom, the third bottom team in France plays the third top team in the second division. And that was Nantes uh, hanging on. They were They finished 18th in... League one and they were able to skid by with a two, two aggregate win, but Nime and Dijon were not able to save themselves. They were relegated to the French second division. Um, and um, yeah, pretty much um, said summarize everything over at league one and you know, just giving a credit from to Tim Weah and um, his struggles from last season, you know, um, three hamstring tears three hamstring tears and you know he said you know there were times when he died like oh maybe this sport wasn't for him and for him to you know claw back and you know um rehab and get healthy again and you know uh, keep keep trying is just a credit to his his character and his uh determination and it paid off and it can only go up from here you know um we don't know if he might get sold or he might stay. Um, Leo's in a, a kind of a dire financial situation, kind of the same as Inter. They might have to sell some players. They already sold their um, their goalkeeper out to uh, AC Milan, I believe. And um, the fire sale might keep continuing. Um, it will be interesting if uh, where it stays. And even if he does, you know, um, just see where he continues his development. But... Um, we can talk about that for another moment, but this is such a such a great moment for him. I watched his live, and he was just so so happy, and um, you know, just celebrating. And he deserves this one hundred percent, especially for someone who was a previous PSG owner, game one of your old club. Um, that that's also just a plus as well. But um, yeah, this is such a. Um, this is such a great um, development for for him, and um, 
it can only go up from here. Yeah, I'm really happy for Tim Weah. Um, we've talked, we talk about him a lot. We love, you know, our love for Timo on this podcast. Um, if you look at his raw numbers this season, he got 863 league minutes, only 25% of the possible league minutes that he could have played, but that's double what he's ever played is in his entire career, just because of injuries or because he's hasn't been chosen because he was younger. So managers, managers didn't really trust him. So just being able to say that he played in 28 games this year is, is something that he's never been able to say, uh, getting his feet back under him. I know he'd struggled with injuries and injuries are never fun. They suck. Probably the worst thing. One of the worst things about sports is injuries because coming back from them, you're just mentally out of it. You, you don't think you'll ever be able to get back to where you once were. And for him to be able to overcome that, I think he'll be stronger for it. And hopefully next season he can build upon this season, play more games, get more starts, score more goals and, and star for, for Leo um, and maybe for the U S men's national team. Mm-hmm. And yeah, definitely rewarded with it. Um, with international call up and um Definitely, you know, going to be competing with Arena and uh, Erickson for those finger spots. And um, I think I think he has an edge. I'm not going to lie. But uh, we'll see. He's going to be competitive. And then ending up in Spain, um, we talked about local Madrid and their lead. And then they're not so uh, massively to their very narrow lead until the final game of the season where all they had to do was win. And they nearly blew it. Um, Half time, they were down um, a goal. But luckily, Real was also down a goal. Um, Barca, they had their title challenge, ended the game before, so did Sevilla. Um, so they ended up at fourth and third, respectively. So it was uh, Real. So Real had the only chance to overtake Atletico for, for the title. And um, Real was able to come back, but fortunately, so did Atletico. So that means Atletico Madrid has won the 2021 La Liga title, the first one since uh, 2013 2014. Um, congratulations to them. Yeah, no one wanted to win La Liga. Uh, the teams down the stretch are just trying to collapse, trying to give it to their to their league rivals, but Atletico. We're able to finally nick it at the end. Um, this is a Luis Suarez hate podcast, so we hate Luis Suarez. He can he can go choke, but he did score some big goals down the stretch for Atletico, so you have to give him some plaudits for that. Barcelona basically let him go to a league rival for free, and he said, I can still play, I can still ball, and he was a main reason why Atletico get this Spanish title. Uh, Real... We're pretty weak this year for Real standards. So we're Barcelona. So I, I think I'd said it on a previous podcast. If Atletico were ever going to win a La Liga, this was going to be the year. And Diego Simeone figured out a way to do that for them. Every year he's been the coach of, of Atletico. They finished at least third, um, which is pretty impressive because before he got there, they were finishing seventh and ninth and kind of mid-table in Spain. And he was immediately able to take them to uh, a top contender in Spain and Spain, maybe you could argue is now a three team league before it's always been Real or Barcelona. And now Atletico are, are almost always at the top of the table and always a team to be reckoned with. And that's a, a big credit to Simeone and 
just his style and his influence on, on Atletico. Yeah, um, without Simone, there is no Atletico. And uh, credit to the other players, Koke, uh, um, um, uh, Yao Felix, and of course, uh, uh, Suarez. Um, and um, I don't know. Um, I feel this might be another one-off. Um, like, of course, they'll be contending. They'll be Champions League, but, like, I don't see. I feel like Real and um, Barca are going to come out, you know, uh, reload and um, try to push Atletico out. Um, um, you know, Atletico will always pull up a fight, but um, I think it will be more of a one like a once every few seasons type of thing, you know, when they're able to win the league. But, you know, I could be wrong. This could be a new dynasty. Or, you know, they could. Um, but the thing with Aleko, they always put on, they always put the pressure on, you know, um, the the big two. And that's what we need. We need more parity, you know. Um, there are three teams contending for the title, then two teams contending for the title. And um, yeah, um, Coleman is still in the Barcelona uh, position for now. We'll see if he gets fired or not. Sedan had resigned. Um, he couldn't take anymore. Um, he actually wrote a letter today saying, you know, the, the club, the board didn't trust him. Um, there's hearing reports about, you know, him like, oh, if I have a bad result, I might get sacked, you know. So definitely. Um, didn't want to deal with that anymore. Probably why he left the first time. And I don't think he, uh, he will return back to Real again. Um, so now Real is out of a coach. Um, Barcelona potentially needs to get a coach and uh, see how those two, two teams uh, probably just reset again for for, this, for the upcoming year. And then um, also Sevilla um, able to clinch Champions League. We'll actually have five Champions League teams uh, with Villarreal winning um, the Europa League. That gives them automatic back to Champions League. And then um, we have to be saying bye to um, Hoiska, Lloyd, and Edibai. Um, they will be down to the second division. Yeah, some of the lower, te- lower weaker teams in Spain are, are just not as good as teams from the other leagues, at least in England and Germany, you have some, some decent sides that are at the bottom of the table, but it seems like in Spain, there's always five, six, seven teams that are pretty weak, pretty outmatched. So these are three of the teams that usually are elevator clubs are usually going up and down from the first and second division in Spain. Yeah. Um, that's um, how do you feel about that's his season, his first season in a, Massive club as uh, Barcelona ended up with a Copa del Rey win. Um, you know, had some moments where you know he had moments to shine, um, moments he had uh, goals to score, moments he got crossed up pretty bad. Um, how do you how do you rate his season? If I had to put it on a scale, I'd say with five being like an average season, I would probably give him a six, maybe like a six and a half, because um, he wasn't. He wasn't great, but I would also say he wasn't bad. It, um, he was on a, a weaker Barcelona team than in the most years past, but I don't think that's on his shoulders. I think that's just on 
the the recruitment of the players that Barcelona have right now. He did play just under 2,000 minutes, uh, 1,913 minutes he played this year, got 30 total appearances. So he was a big part for Barcelona. And I think it's still kind of hard to remember that he's only 20 years old. So he still has a lot of developing to do, especially on his defensive side of his game and just his final ball. Um, He needs to work on those two aspects of his game if he wants to become an elite outside back because he he ended the season with two goals and no assist, which for him and his attacking prowess, I think he needs to to be a little more productive than that. Um, But he still was good in, in combination play and he's still super confident on the ball and he's got that swagger like European players do, that confident players do, and we need that on the U.S. men's team. So I think it was decent, okay. Like I said, I'd give him probably a six. Uh, with five being like an average season. So yeah, good for him. Hopefully he can develop a little more next year and maybe, maybe reach that seven, seven and a half range. Yeah. All right. Um, and actually we did have um, uh, national team news. Uh, we have our roster for the national team. Um, no big surprises. Um, Pulisic and uh, Stepan weren't able to appear uh, for the, a game against Switzerland yesterday for, you know, reasons. Um, <laughs> um, I wasn't able to watch uh, most of the game. Uh, turns out ESPN does not work in England. So um had to, it took me like half the, um, nearly half into the second half to get running by then, you know, um, their soul was already confirmed. Um, Dan, do you have anything to say about that about that game? I know Legette uh, scored early on in the fifth minute, and then um, Switzerland uh, responded pretty quickly in the tenth minute, and then uh, sealed the deal around the sixty-fifth minute. Yeah, this was definitely a good test for us. Um, Switzerland won the game two to one, um, and they're ranked like thirteenth in the FIFA rankings and. 15th in ELO rankings, which is basically a better uh, estimate of how good a team is. It's more based on like how a team actually plays, not FIFA rankings. FIFA rankings is just like basically how much you win in competitions. It's just, it's just an outdated ranking system. Um, But we played okay. There were some good performers. I think I liked what I saw from Brendan Aronson stepping in into that Pulisic role and Ethan Horvath hadn't played for the national team in a couple of years. He hadn't really played for his club team much this year. And he looked decent in goal, even though he gave up two. It was it was a lot of errors at the back. A lot of a lot of times they were getting beaten 1v1. And I think that's just a cause of our transition defense being absolutely terrible, especially without Tyler Adams in there. We don't really have that midfield destroyer to to break up play, to break up passing lanes to to commit fouls when the team's counterattacking just so we can set up our, our defense again. Um, I liked the the high line we played. We played a super high line when uh, Switzerland was coming out of the back. Basically every, every time they had a goal kick, we had Aronson, uh, Reina and Sargent just at the goal line at Switzerland's goal line, waiting for them to pass it in. And immediately once they did, we were on their throats trying to win the ball back. So I like seeing that just because we have a team full of athletic guys who can do a lot of running. And so we should use that to our advantage. Um, 
yeah, it, it's just nice to see that we played a team that's actually good, you know, not Trinidad and Tobago's D team or whatever, not beating them seven, nothing, giving us a little humble pie before these must win games against Honduras and the winner of uh, Costa Rica, Mexico, or if we lose the loser of Costa Rica, Mexico, but I'm expecting we'll, we'll go to Denver on Thursday and, and beat Honduras, not comfortably, but we should be able to beat Honduras and then hopefully we get a good test against Mexico in the final. Um, and we'll have Pulisic back for that game. We may or may not have Adams for this, these two games, just because he's dealing with a, a slight back problem. It would be a, a huge blow for him not to be there. I'd like to see maybe a, a little formation change if he can't be there. Maybe play Reyna more in the middle and then play Musa and McKinney as our deeper midfielders. But who knows? we got some competitive games coming up. I know my, my heart will be beating a little faster against Honduras and Mexico or Costa Rica. So I'm excited to kind of get the, those competitive juices flowing. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, thank you for, for the insight. Um, yeah, we do have nation's league uh, football coming up this week. Um, Honduras coming up and, you know, if we pull out the win, we play the winner, Costa Rica and Mexico. Um, a big test and a big opportunity for the national team to get some silverware. Something we haven't seen in a very, very, very long time. Um, and um, another test, you know, um, having these games back to back test our resolve um, for qualifying because it's going to come up in the in the fall. And um, you know, uh, Switzerland did offer a good test. You know. Um, there's some bad moments, but um, overall, still a narrow loss. Um, still some positives that we can take from it. And um, looking forward to see how these next uh, next couple games go, and see you know what is our you know bonafide starting eleven, um, and who can be you know the the players who can make an impact on the on the bench. Yeah, this game kind of acted as a as a placeholder for for when World Cup qualifying actually happens because World Cup qualifying, there's going to be three games in a cycle, three games in 10 days or whatever. So this game against Switzerland was supposed to act as that that league game that our players will play in Europe before qualifiers. So they'll play their league games in Europe on a Saturday or Sunday, fly across to the Americas to either the United States or Honduras or Jamaica or whatever team we're playing and then have to play three games over there. So Halter set this up as a way for, as like a dress rehearsal. So the players can understand how their bodies will react to playing 90 minutes, getting on a flight and then having to play three more games of 90 minutes. Um, it'll be a good test for our guys and there's no excuses right now. You know, these next two games we're, we're here to win and no more of, we're, we're building to something greater. You know, these are just trial and error. World Cup qualifying starts in September, which is four months from now. So we need to get our butts in shape and we need to start winning some games. So the pressure's on right now. I have faith in our guys and let's see if they can do it. Let's, let's fucking go. Um, and we will be covering that, you know, up to um, um, when September comes. And also we'll be covering... Anything that happens during the summer, which is going to be a lot, um, you know, Olympics with the uh, women's team, the Euros, uh, and then the Nations League and the Gold Cup. 
and um you know we'll do our best to cover as much as we can when we can because we want to give you what you want to hear you know um our opinions on soccer so <laughs> um thank y'all for um um taking the time to listen to us as always it's been a long season um since we started in november and now we're at the end of the season we're looking forward to um what comes next and you know just keep it going so um thank you for thank you for um uh for being fans of the podcast i appreciate it yeah anyone who listens to us we we love you guys we you know we mostly just do this to to talk amongst ourselves but if you're willing to listen to us two dorks talk a little bit we we more than appreciate it so so thank you for sticking with us and with that, um, that kind of concludes the, the first season of Soccer Not Football. Um, and we'll still have, you know, podcasts throughout the throughout the summer. Um, might have a guest uh, host um, could just cover different topics um, because, you know, I'm still going to be across the country, uh, across the world, actually, <laughs> not across the country. And um, hopefully, you know, we might be able to do a podcast together at some point. Um but uh, till then, um, you know, we're still going to be recording. We're still going to be posting. We're still going to be talking. So, you know, stay tuned. And uh, with that, um, take care. And uh, we'll see you all soon. Remember, it's soccer, not football. Soccer, not football. Peace. Peace.